listening to the news on RTHK. Radio 3, live on the web, rthk.org.hk. Money Talk. Good morning and welcome to the final Money Talk of the week. The time's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Wednesday the 29th of July. This is Peter Lewis on Radio 3 with the latest business and finance headlines. The United States economy has slipped into a technical recession, normally defined as two consecutive quarters of economic contraction. GDP fell 0.9% on an annualised basis in the second quarter, following a contraction of 1.6% in the first three months of 2022. Compared with the previous quarter, economic growth slowed by 0.2% in April to June. Hong Kong has raised the base rate by 75 basis points to 2.75%, the highest since 2019, in lockstep with Thursday's rate hike by the US Federal Reserve. Hong Kong Monetary Authority Chief Executive Eddie Yu warned of more interest rate increases in the coming months, urging borrowers to be aware of risks. Financial Secretary Paul Chan said yesterday that Hong Kong's property and financial markets remain resilient despite repeated interest rate hikes in the United States. Mr Chan told reporters that interest rates in the SAR will inevitably increase, but the hikes need not be in lockstep with those in the US. On the local economy, Mr Chan said that the government will revise its economic growth forecast for 2022 as the city's export performance is being hit by the worsening global economic situation. But he expressed optimism regarding local consumption levels for the rest of the year due to the distribution of another round of spending vouchers. President Biden and President Xi held a call on Thursday, their first since March amid fresh tensions over Taiwan. In a call that lasted over two hours, it was reported that President Xi told President Biden not to play with fire and that the US should abide by the One China policy and act in line with its words. President Biden is said to have told President Xi that the US stance on One China remained unchanged and the US strongly opposes any unilateral changes of the state of the status quo in the Taiwan Straits. Meanwhile, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is set to leave for a trip to the Asia-Pacific region later today, but it's still unclear whether her itinerary will include a stop in Taiwan. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris, CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Gavin Parry, Managing Director of Parry International Trading. With a view from India is Toby Lawson, CEO of Societe Generale India. Money Talk! On Wall Street, US stocks rallied for a second day in a row as investors bet the economic downturn would cause the Fed to slow its pace of interest rate increases. The S&P 500 rose 1.2% to 4,072. The Dow, which climbed more than 400 points on Wednesday, added another 332 points yesterday, ending the session at 32,530. The Nasdaq Composite Index, which is full of interest rate sensitive growth stocks, added 1.1% to 12,163. All of the three major averages are on track for their best month of 2022. After the closing bell, shares of Amazon surged over 13% after beating Wall Street's revenue estimates and providing rosy guidance for the third quarter. 
The company reported second quarter revenue growth of 7% to 121.2 billion US dollars compared to the 119.1 billion expected by analysts. And for the current quarter, the company projected revenue growth of 13 to 17%. Apple also beat Wall Street estimates on revenue and profit and expects growth to accelerate in this quarter despite pockets of softness. Revenues rose 2% year-on-year to $83 billion, beating estimates of $82.81 billion. Shares of Apple rose 3% in after-hours trading. The Pan-European Stock 600 index climbed 1.1% in London. The FTSE 100 ended the day unchanged. Hong Kong stocks ended the day lower yesterday after the Fed and the HKMA raised interest rates by 75 basis points. The Hang Seng Index fell 47 points or 0.2% to 20,622. Banks and developers led the market lower, and the tech index climbed 0.4%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rose 0.2% to 3,283. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil climbed half a percent to $107.14 a barrel. Gold is up 1.2% to $1,755 an ounce. The two-year Treasury yield, which is particularly sensitive to interest rate expectations, tumbled 10 basis points to 2.88%. And the 10-year yield, which moves with growth and inflation expectations, plunged 11 basis points to 2.67%. That's its lowest level since April. And the US dollar index fell a third of a percent, taking it to a more than three-week low. The euro is trading at just below $1.02. The Japanese yen surged 1.6% to 134.49 against the dollar. Sterling is trading at $1.21 and three quarter cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and 55 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.74 and a half in offshore markets. And Bitcoin rose 5% to $23,800. Around Asia-Pacific stock markets at the open, we're seeing a rally. Uh, in Australia, the SX200 up 1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan up about 0.6%. The Cosby is up three quarters of a percent. And it looks like it's going to be a flat open for the Hang Seng later on this morning. Time's coming up to 8.10. Let's welcome our guests on the phone this morning. We have our regular Friday commentator, Andrew Ferris, CEO of Econosis Advisory. Morning, Andrew. Good morning, and from Hong Kong, no less. Welcome back. <laughs> nice Although to have you back in here. a quarantine hotel. There you go. Yep, but you'll be out soon. <laughs> uh, Sunday. Good, good, good. We look forward to seeing on you next behavior. week then. On good behaviour. Okay. <laughs> Great. And also with us, Gavin Parry, Managing Director at Parry International Trading. Hopefully not in quarantine. Morning, Gavin. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Um, Andrew, let me kick off with you. We've talked about the definition of a recession several times on this show, and you've always emphasised to us it's not a recession until you see two consecutive quarters of economic contraction. Well, the US has just contracted 0.9% this quarter, 1.6% uh, it fell in the first quarter, except President Biden and Joe... and. Um, uh, the exactly. Fed chairman, um, <laughs> Jerome Powell, are denying it's a recession. So do you want to be the arbiter of this? Yeah, absolutely, actually. Uh, back in the, in the very early 1950s, President Truman at the time was uh, 
was quoted in saying that recession is when I lose my job. Depression is when you lose your job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yes, I'm afraid it is, it is a little bit silly because this was a kind of a numeric that was, uh, let's say, commonly agreed. Now it isn't. Now, mind you, I don't mind because the uh, minus 0.9 and the minus 0.16 are quarter-on-quarter annualized. Now, Peter, quarter-on-quarter annualized is just about the acme of meaningless. Mm. It means that if the economy was to grow, if the economy was to grow at the rate it was growing, compounded for one year, then it will be growing at minus 0.9 in a year's time. Mm. Well, it will not, and it doesn't. So I have no idea what what these numbers mean. Genuinely, I have no idea what it means. Yeah, I know what it means. But now the fact that they are minus back-to-back, well, it is sort of... You know, I looked at all the uh, PMI, the uh, Purchase Managers Index numbers in the States, and all of them are clearly above the 50 point, and clearly some of them are sort of stabilizing flat. They are not falling. Mm. So I'm not quite sure if one takes these... Okay, as the fact that they are over the 50 mark, we're not in a recession or a depression or whatever you want to call it. So the answer is, is it's terrible, but it means, you know, Alice in Wonderland, words mean what I define them to mean. There you go. Okay. Gavin, can you help us out here? It is, if it is a recession, it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? Because although GDP is down, um, Jerome Powell is probably right to point at the jobs market, isn't it, which is creating 400,000 new jobs per month. But then at the same time, we have all these recent reports that show consumer confidence falling, the housing market slowing, and business activity in uh, its first contraction since 2020. So so what's going on? Uh, look, honestly, I think it's more about the semantics than anything. Um, for us, as market participants, it's more about the price discovery action and what the what the street's actually doing. And this is more, I think, about policymakers trying to leverage a communication tool, which technically the central bank uh, uses to manage expectations. But as your opening um, monologue pointed out, you're looking at the fixed income market, um, this is painting a better picture as to what price discovery action is actually doing. And we had, you know, very solid two- and five-year auctions earlier in the week, and overnight the seven-year auction saw one of the highest ever... Um, Inside demands on record. So, you know, there's definitely a, a growing and accelerating demand for duration. Um, and that's obvious. historically, technically a sign of slowing economic activity. Mm. So, so what are the markets telling us? We've seen um, this two-day rally now in equities. We've seen a big fall um, in bond yields. They seem to be basically saying um, that they expect that, um, you know, we've reached sort of peak um, hawkishness from the the Fed. And what they're going to start doing now is slowing down the pace of rate increases. Maybe we're going to get 25, 50 basis point rate hikes instead of 75 basis points or even 1% that people were talking about a couple of weeks ago. Is is that what the market is signalling? And is it right to signal that? Um, Look, I think we've also got to put in perspective that these markets, uh, aren't, let's say, what they used to be uh, a decade or so ago. They're very much still managed, and uh, I think that's why people are hanging on these these headlines as part of that, um, i.e., we still haven't got a closeout from the um, TARP QE periods. So they, these markets are still very muddy, muddied, and I think, look, you know, markets have short memories, but history does repeat, and what we're looking at is really, we believe the Federal Reserve will still keep an eye on 
the money markets in relation to liquidity. Um, they're still very, very careful about uh, having any lock-up or freeze there, which effectively mm. was the um, impetus of the, the 2008 Western credit crisis. Also, Peter, may I interject here? I mean, I found it absolutely hilarious that uh, both the two-year and the 10-year yields actually fell on the Fed increasing aggressively by 75 basis mm. points on the principle, and I call this Newtonian physics for idiots. Duh. If it goes up, then it must come down. <laughs> come on. <laughs> what a naive way of saying, you know, they are increasing very hard, so at some stage they will be coming down. So let's go off to the races. It doesn't make any sense. What I'm happy, however, is that for the poor Hong Kong uh, borrowers, Interest rates are not increasing lockstep, and they never have, despite the peg, because it all depends on the liquidity of the aggregate balance. And if uh, the honky uh, the stabilizes, then the liquidity will be, let's say, stabilized, and that will stop interest rates from increasing. In other words, it doesn't mean because the Fed goes up by 75, we go up by 75. So, we don't. So Paul Chan's right, then, when he says that this doesn't have to increase um, in lockstep with the U.S., Absolutely, absolutely. And historically, it's true. I mean, it was never the case, as I said. Uh, uh, Fed says A, and we say A. Fed says B, and we say B. No, it doesn't. Okay. But what, what does it mean for the Hong Kong economy? We're, we're, we're pretty close to recession here, aren't we? We could well be already in absolutely. a recession. Absolutely. We have, well, we have one quarter negative. All we need now is to have uh, another quarter negative, and then everybody will come out and say, well, really, it isn't because, and then we'll give all our reasons. What I'm genuinely concerned is, of course, is continuing uh, the impact on the economy of the COVID measures. Uh, there is no, no way wriggling around that. And it's not a matter of uh, bringing out the old critique, the old red herring, look what they are doing to us, kind of thing. But the truth of the matter is, is there is no tourism, full stop. Gavin, what's, what does this mean for Hong Kong's uh, economy, these interest rates uh, rises? I mean, obviously, it's going to crimp demand for credit. It's going to make home mortgages uh, more sort of costly. Is it going to be the thing that tips the local economy into recession? Well, look, up there's always, always two sides to a coin, and... Um what Andrew was just starting there, historics, is, is uh, obviously quite correct. When, when, when I arrived in Hong Kong in 99, um, since then, I've, I've never seen deposit rates increase. So mm. as we move back into an interest rate differential environment, it's the net interest margin uh, susceptible names that are, that are going to see the activity. And the long-suffering banking uh, sector, I mean, yeah, HSBC used to be the golden rule, falls under $100, you buy it, right? Um mm. But there, that, that should see some interest there because with effectively stable cost of capital on the Hong Kong side, the peg, peg currency, the interest rate differentials with access to the overnight window on the Fed is just the license to print money. So we haven't seen that kind of environment for the sector. And given the Hong Kong um, uh, economy is effectively a service base uh, with the, the property market, as you said, the grease on the gears, um, that. You know, there's, a, there's, you know, um, a positive to, to obviously the, the pain side of the cost of capital as well. Mm. And what does this mean for the market? The last time, um, it looks like prime rates are going to have to go up at some point, although HSBC has left its best rate unchanged. But I suspect, or most people suspect, that certainly by September, the end of the year, the prime rate is going to go up. The last time this happened, it wasn't very good for local stocks. Well, um, again... A large, large percentage is, uh, is obviously the real estate names uh, and the banking names, which are all tied to, to the property market. 
I'm, you know, I'll defer to Peter Churchhouse, uh, who's basically, I guess, Mr. Hong Kong property. And he always mentioned that it's the turnover velocity you want to keep an eye on, not so much the price velocity in Hong Kong mm. as, a, as an indicator here to health. And um, part of that is that the high end of the market here in Hong Kong is less susceptible to interest rate shocks because of a, a lower um, debt uh, uh, portion of the, of the properties being owned as opposed to the smaller end, which tends to be highly leveraged. Um, so, look... You know, again, it's it's a major part, obviously, but we've also still got the ongoing demand from the mainland um, and the increasing interconnectivity with the Greater Bay Area development, linking both markets, asset classes and access. So those things um, tend to have been like the smoothing of the ebbs and, and troughs, so to speak, for the market. Andrew, then, given that we are more linked, obviously, to the mainland and particularly the Greater Bay Area, do the uh, the woes of the property sector on the mainland, do they have an impact here or is this a completely separate market? It, it is. So I think it, it will be silly to say, uh, you know, to do a kind of an inverse Fed. You know, they go up, we go up, they go down, we go down. Mm. Uh, the answer is, is yes, there are two separate markets. They are priced uh, on, on a different currency and they reflect different dynamics and, of course, different approach. And also what is might be just confusing the image right now is the fact that uh, the central government has announced, uh, I've forgotten if it is one trillion uh, renminbi of one potential. One trillion, yeah. One yeah, trillion, 148 one billion dollars. What's one trillion between friends? <laughs> just, just a few zeros, okay, uh, to be directed uh, to, uh, to lending by the banks to the property sector in order to allow them to uh, fill out and... Uh, uh, I was going to say finish, uh, half-finished properties that led to the mortgage revolt and so on. In other words, there is more money coming into the property sector. Would you okay, want to? Would you want to lend to these property developers who, you know, have, have can't finish their apartments? If if you was an investor, would you be willing to do that? So I'm wondering who exactly wants to go and lend to some of these property developers. Well, apparently, apparently the banks directed by the People's Bank of China. So in other words, we are not uh, we are not seeing now, a, let's say, a private sector initiative. We're seeing a central government initiative, which is dentally. China can hardly be accused of that. Look what happened after the Lehman Brothers collapse. What has happened with the wall of money that came into it precisely because the property sector was collapsing. Mm. So in other words, uh, you know, it doesn't. Uh, we're not going to say, ah, look, you know, typical of the Chinese, they are they are not. Uh, leaving the market uh, to clear out the private sector because neither do we, of course. <laughs> Gavin, what, what do you make of this latest plan? Is 150 billion US dollars going to be enough to lift the property sector out of its slump? Um, well, look, you know, obviously the Chinese economy has has changed and developed over you know the last two decades. I've been here as well, so you know, more than 60 percent of of GDP calculation is. Um, is obviously services and domestic uh, driven now as opposed to um, uh, investment um, uh, export led. Um, you know, so the property market, just as in Hong Kong, is for household balance sheets and the propensity to consume versus save is now becoming a, a larger factor to the overall economic environment um, and growth of the mainland. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's one, one thing I think is still worth highlighting here is, is probably without, without just, going directly into the PRC market, but the, the Hong Kong connection and, and our position, which is what the, start, the conversation started on, is still very robust um, in the global, global um, scheme of things because, you know, apart from 70% of, of foreign direct investment coming through us, 
um, even like uh, Evergrande putting its, its headquarters up for sale in Wan Chai recently. I mean, I don't think you, you'd assume that there's the domestic appetite or the liquidity that would go into that as purchases here. And, and, and our status as a free port and open economy and markets, um, while, as Andrew uh, touched on, um, the mobility of capital still impacts us quite directly. And 90% of the TARP money, for example, came straight out here after, uh, mm. as you said, the Lehman's aspect. But, you know, it's, it's the Hong Kong market being able to access the international markets is still quite important there. And, and that's another aspect of why you're seeing the Alibabas and so forth of the world um, looking back to the Hong Kong Exchange for, for listings here. So um, while, while the property market per se is still obviously the grease on the gears, um, these these markets and the economies are still developing and maturing a lot more where um, I think, you know, it's not so much cut and dry anymore, if, if, that, makes, if, if, if that makes kind of sense, uh, of the way it used to be of, um, of direct inverse relationships, let's say. Mm-hmm. To, add, to add what Gavin said, uh, the the state banks um, uh, sort of own and occupy nearly as something like between 40 and 47 percent of all banking assets. So in other words, the banking system cannot collapse without this leading directly to a fiscal crisis. And that's not going to happen. Point number one. And point number two, we have seen repeatedly the number that defaulting mortgage loans in China are still about 0.1 percent of all mortgages. I have no idea whether this is true or not. And apparently the red light is the 2% mark. Okay, so <clears throat> in other words, not all mortgages are defaulting and not all uh, property sector uh, loans uh, are up uh, for, 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 for bankruptcy. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit always, I'm a little bit concerned. Also, hugely important, the famous five trillion of developers own uh, in China, about 30% of GDP, might be a correct number, but what really matters is not the sum they own, is their capacity to service it. In other words, they might own quazillions and unable to repay them, but as long as they fund them, as long as they service them, everything is okay. Okay. Right. That's, that's, that's a key issue, again. Okay, thank you very much, Andrew. That's Andrew Ferris, CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Gavin Parry, Managing Director at Parry International Trading. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.25 on the phone from Mumbai. Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. Morning, Toby. Yeah, good morning, Peter. Do you want to be the final arbiter of this debate that we're having this morning that we can't work out? Is the US in a recession or not? GDP says it is. President Biden, Jerome Powell says, no, no, it's not. Just look at how strong the jobs market is uh, and so on. That's not a recession. Well, I guess that's the, that's the political uh, you know, debate, depending on which side of politics you sit. If you're a Republican, you're going to say definitely in a recession. If you're a Democrat, you're going to say no. I think uh, the arbiter, as far as I understand, is the National Bureau of Economic Research in the U.S. that will determine whether, in fact, the economy is in recession. So having said that, two quarters consecutive of negative growth is technically a recession by everyone's definition. So uh, it doesn't feel like, uh, I guess, if you look at the employment figures and some of the, um, if you strip out some of the factors going into the GDP number for the second quarter, it doesn't feel like the economy is in recession, but it's certainly stalled. I think that would be a reasonable assessment for the U.S. economy. And so it's a bit semantic, I guess, to say, is it in recession or not? But um, I guess you, I'm, I'll leave that to the politicians to debate, I think. Mm. Um, 
does um, does it complicate matters for for the Fed? Um, the markets are now assuming that there's going to be quite a big scaling back uh, of rate height expectations, maybe another ninety basis points this year, uh, and then it's done, and then rate cuts uh, next year. Does is, is the market right to think that? Yeah, last couple of days, well, this last period bonds have rallied right quite substantially and another 10 11 points uh, across the curve overnight mainly at the shorter end suggests that maybe the market starts to peel back a little bit of the fed's aggressiveness i think the fed made the point when they raised rates this week 75 that they would look the data going forward and i think it's quite um noted uh, notable for the market because we'll probably see nothing in august uh, you know it uh, tends to be there's no meeting september's the next meeting we'll see some more data to see if the you know, the elements that drove this decline in GDP in the second quarter um, uh, start to feed through uh, into the more sort of leading indicators. And if that's the case, you might actually see the Fed uh, starting to recalibrate its uh, rate hikes. But inflation's still hot, you know. Mm. So the the deflator is still over 8% uh, on these GDP numbers. So then this CPI data that comes out on August the 10th, also the PCE data that comes out today, is going to be very, very important, um, isn't it? Because if it does start signalling that maybe inflation has peaked, um, then maybe the markets are right. We're not going to see any more 75 basis point rate increases. We may be looking at 25, 50. Yeah, when you're starting to see that, you know, a little, I mean, I wouldn't say it's risk on, not by any stretch in the equity markets, but we've seen a pretty good bounce uh, um, and again, I think it's probably uh, from oversold conditions, maybe recalibrating a little bit more appetite coming in. So equity markets may be reflecting that a little bit prematurely. So I think the data is key. And the Fed said as much uh, in their statement post the FOMC that uh, really it'll be data that will determine um, the extent of the next hike. Um, and uh, whether we go 75 or 50 or, or whatever, I think we'll, we'll be certainly more knowledgeable in the next couple of weeks. And um, what does this all mean for India and uh, its sort of post-pandemic recovery? Are these rising interest rates um, and, and soaring inflation, while at the same time the global economy definitely seems to be slowing down? Um, is, is that derailing the recovery at all in India? There are elements that are being stressed, clearly. Um, India imports inflation through the energy complex quite significantly. Um, so it's certainly, I wouldn't say the word derailed, I think that's an overstatement, at least in India. The domestic economy is still pretty strong, demand is there. Um, I actually think that if the Fed, in a way the RBI have got a position to sort of watch and wait, I think their next uh, meeting's in August and uh, there is some forecast for 50 basis points. But uh, the RBI government is really keen to try to keep the growth momentum. So any opportunity to avoid having to move uh, aggressively on rates um, due to inflation will be a welcome. Commodity prices coming off, which is you know, certainly a good news story for, for an economy like India. Um, that's one potential to see the RBI a little bit more uh, cognizant of not wanting to hike again. But inflation base effect is still running above the, the threshold. So I suspect that the market is looking for 50 basis points in August. But that should be about it, at least um, uh, depending on what happens with the, with the global economy. And it looks like the Indian government is going to get quite a nice boost to its revenues, isn't it? It's auctioning off uh, the 5G uh, spectrum. Could raise maybe as much as $14 billion US dollars from that. Oh, yeah, at least. I think it's been, a, it's been a, a, an excellent auction so far. I think it's completed yesterday. But, uh, you know, you saw all the big players, Reliance, uh, Adani, oh, sorry, Adani came in, which is new for them, Bardi Airtel and Vodafone all very keen to buy uh, all of the um, bandwidth that's available on the 5G. And the, uh, the good news on that is for India, the rollout will be quite quick. 
So it's not just a, a, an auction and then long-term a rollout of 5G. It's, uh, it's on the way, yeah, probably third, fourth quarter here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, very exciting, I think, and again, a reflection of the opportunity that exists structurally in India over the medium term. Toby, thanks very much. Have a good weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take another look at Asia-Pacific markets. In Australia, the SX200 moving further ahead now. It's up about 1.2%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has risen about a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea up close to 1%. Does look like uh, a flat open, though, for the Hang Seng later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening this week. Have a great weekend. Please join me again on Monday morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news, it's back chats with Janice Wong and Andrew Work. The weather forecast, mainly fine and very hot. Maximum temperature, 35 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. And the outlook is for it to remain very hot. A few isolated showers in the next couple of days. The very hot weather warning is still in force. 31 degrees already and it's 81% relative humidity. Times 8.32. Here's Andrew Shorsky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Xinhua reports that President Xi Jinping warned his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden against playing with fire during a phone call last night in which they discussed China-U.S. relations and issues of mutual interest. According to Xinhua, Mr. Xi stressed that China firmly opposes both any form of secession directed towards Taiwan independence and external interference in China's affairs. The virtual summit between the leaders lasted more than two hours and was described by both sides as candid. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre updated reporters. They had a very direct conversation and they've known each other for some time. The president has known, President Biden has known President Xi for about four decades. This is a relationship that they've had for some time. And again, it was a direct, straightforward uh, conversation. This is something you hear from the president all the time and the importance of having leader to leader conversation. At least two dancers were hurt during a concert by the popular boy band Mirror last night after a large video panel fell on stage at the Hong Kong Coliseum. Authorities said two male dancers had been, t- had been taken to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, where one was in a serious condition and the other stable. Videos circulating on social media appear to show the panel first landing sideways on one of the dancers' head before toppling over and trapping another dancer. The government immediately suspended the eight remaining shows in what was meant to be a 12-concert series. Other dancers were reported to have suffered injuries during rehearsals earlier in the week. Chief Executive John Lee released a statement expressing shock at the incident, along with hopes that the victims will recover quickly. This concert-goer, named Ivana, said she and her friends felt scared. After we saw the TV fell, and apparently the dancer has passed out, the people were screaming and the staff tells the fans to leave. Me and my friends' feeling was scared and worried, because... We didn't expect such serious accident will happen in this concert. Overseas now, Ukrainian officials say at least five people have been killed by Russian missile strikes in the central region of Kirovgrad. More than two dozen others were wounded in the attack, which struck hangars at an airfield. Further south, the Ukrainians are reported to be making progress in their counteroffensive against the occupied city of Kherson. A local resident said military activity had gotten more intense over the past weeks. 
I can hear a lot more anti-air missiles being shot by the Russian forces. We can see uh, a lot of Russian troops moving through the city. The concern that we have is about the Russians withdrawing from 